Church, as we continue to worship this morning, I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word or take the Pew Bible in front of you. Turn with me to the second book of the Bible. It's the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. Exodus 20, verse 15. For those of you that are new to Dawson, maybe this is your first time visiting with us, we're walking through a series in the book of Exodus, specifically the Ten Commandments. Each week we're taking the next successive commandment. We come now to the Eighth Commandment, four words, you shall not steal. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, four words, you shall not steal. This is the first commandment I remember breaking in my life. This is probably the first commandment I learned in my life. All the details are a bit sketchy, but the way I remember it, I was was approximately five years old. My aunt took me to a convenience store. We're walking through. I wanted, as a lot of four or five-year-olds would want, to get and to get and to get. And she had a clear list. You can have this. You cannot have this. On the have-not list was this beaded necklace, candy necklace. I really wanted that. It was on, you cannot have it. So my life of crime started when I slipped it into my pocket, thinking that the clerk would not see me, thinking that my aunt would not see me. I went out, got into her vehicle, and out it slid right there on the floorboard. She caught me her eyes to my, did I not tell you, David, you could not buy that. You cannot have that. And so I had the whole walk of shame where I had to get out of her vehicle and go up to the store clerk and tell him that I had taken what was not mine and I gave it back. I'm just tears flowing. I remember that. I remember this so much. This is one of those kind of fun aunts. She felt so bad about me crying that she got me ice cream on the way home. So. <laughs> which I'm not really sure the lesson that I'm learning there, but I just vividly remember I wanted something. I couldn't have it. It wasn't mine. So I took it. The Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. I mean, it's a word that the majority of cultures actually adhere to. I mean, the majority of cultures actually have some types of laws, some kind of prohibitions against stealing, and there actually is punishment if you steal. If you're looking for a definition, stealing is taking something that doesn't belong to you without permission or legal right and never intending to return it. I love Jen Wilkins' book. It's a a small book entitled Ten Words to Live By where she walks through the Ten Commandments and and gives us, I think, a very catchy and very memorable definition of stealing. Stealing is gain at someone else's unwilling expense. Stealing is gain at someone else's unwilling expense. The the Eighth Commandment is going to intersect a variety of criminal activities. It's going to uh, engage in a a variety of ways that, that at the end of the day is breaking the Eighth Commandment. And we can list some of those. A burglary, breaking into a home or a building to commit theft, a robbery, taking property directly from another person using violence or intimidation. We could talk about larceny, taking someone or taking something without permission and not returning it. You could talk about hijacking, using force to, to take goods that are in transit or shoplifting. My five-year-old self learned of that, taking items from the store during business hours. 
They're more complex examples, things that you don't on a lurch just happen into. We could think of things that take a lot of coordination, a lot of planning, sometimes even ingenuity to be able to pull off, but at the same time, they're breaking the Eighth Commandment. You could add to that list embezzlement, the fraudulent taking of money or other goods entrusted to one's care. Extortion, you could add to that. Uh, Getting money from someone by means of threats or misuses of authority. Racketeering, obtaining money by any illegal means. And we could go on. Again, we're not trying to be exhaustive here. We're not trying to be comprehensive here. But we could add to this cheating on your taxes. And the next couple of weeks is April the 15th is coming our way. We could talk about this at a corporate level where a company would steal from employees. How could that occur? Well, we could come up with an almost infinite number of examples. But, I mean, you could think of things like failing to pay employees the hours that they actually work or failing to to live up to the stipulations of an agreement that a company and an employee make with one another. And so we can think of these kinds of ways. In the 21st century, you have unique opportunities to steal that are not other people's actual physical possessions. So we live in a day and age where you're going to see uh, stories of journalists who commit intellectual theft. Uh, We call this plagiarism where what they write are not actually their words, but there's a copy and paste thing that is going on. Uh, authors uh, have, have gotten into the midst of scandals for appropriating uh, words that are not their own, and they use them as themselves. And, and preachers are not immune to this. I mean, plagiarism is, is something in the 21st century that is around, and it is theft. It is theft, uh, maybe not of physical goods, but of intellectual property here. So you see that this commandment, it, it addresses a, a host of situations. And, and I actually do not think it's uh, most helpful for us to spend 30 minutes trying to exhaustively define every possible way that you could break the Eighth Commandment. Actually, I think that goes, uh, it, it really works counterintuitive for us. Because if we start saying, hey, what, what are theft and what's stealing? Our mind immediately goes to things that we see as the lead story on the 10 o'clock news or to the headlines at al.com. And we think, hey, I don't have anything to do with the Eighth Commandment here. The Eighth Commandment is that headline, local gas station robbed at gunpoint, or CFO that is sentenced for embezzling money, or, or the local bank that is robbed by a masked assailant. And we kind of sit here in our pews and say, boy, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not really struggling here on Sunday morning with whether or not tomorrow morning I'm going to go try to rob the the bank around the corner. And we can think this is a word of the Lord for someone else, but not us, until we ponder once again the, the pervasive sinful nature of all of us that are here in this room, myself first and foremost. None of us have clean hands. We might not have committed every possible example of theft that we can imagine. But don't think that this doesn't apply to your life and my life. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, preacher, theologian, 500 years ago, he's writing in the larger catechism as he's walking through each of the commandments, ways that that this commandment intersects the average person living 500 years ago. He says a person steals not only when he robs a man's strong box or his pocket, but he also uh, steals when he takes advantage of his neighbor at the market, in a grocery store, shop, butcher stall, workshop, 
And in short, wherever business is transacted and money is exchanged for goods or labor. Luther continues, the same must be said of artisans and workmen and day laborers who act high-handedly and never know enough ways to overcharge people and yet are careless and unreliable in their work. what, What Luther is doing there is helpful. Because Luther is saying, you don't have to follow someone into a dark alley and rob them at gunpoint to break the eighth commandment. It it oftentimes in our personal lives and even in our professional lives can be much more subtle and even much more sinister. If you think about this, most of us here in this sermon, we might not be pondering robbing a bank, but we know the feel and the pull of gain at someone else's unwilling expense. There's a lot of ways that we can justify this. There are a lot of ways that we can rationalize. I I work so hard at my profession. I've given so much blood and sweat and tears to my company. Does it really matter at the end of the month that when it comes to those business personal expenses reports that I does it really matter if I pad it just a little bit where the personal expenses begin to cross over into my business expenses I mean again I've given so much to the company don't they owe me something gain at someone else's unwilling expense Or again, we are four weeks away from April the 15th and all of us, or not all of us, but many of us will will have to report our earnings. And it's in that moment that we could feel the temptation to fail to report certain earnings or to fudge the numbers uh, to, to our advantage here. Or maybe you're traveling for your work and you're staying in and out of hotels and, and you each and every hotel stop, you say, you know something, I, I've paid for this hotel here. Don't they, don't they owe me about three towels and a Keurig machine that I take with me as I leave here? I mean, I mean this, is, this, is, this is like theft to me how much they're, they're charging me here. I mean, surely I can take an alarm clock with me as I, as I leave right here. Or you're at school. Taking a test. You studied and didn't study quite as much as you needed to, maybe even wanted to. It's in that moment you realize that the person in front of you or beside you is a couple of answers ahead of you, and you just sort of look over the shoulder to be able to grab that answer just for clarity's sake. Does that even matter? Now, I know we have some sensitive consciences that are here. I know we have people that, that wonder, at what point am I crossing the line of, of theft here? I, I had someone this last week, maybe on Tuesday, that sent me a text message of his collection of about 30 Dawson pins. <laughs> and he said, well, I guess, I guess, I guess you're going to be preaching to me on, on Sunday. And again, I think it's important for us to understand the intent of something. I mean, the, the local bank... They they want you to take their pins. Here at Dawson, let me just go ahead and tell you this. We want you to take all the pins that you can, and we want you to give them out to your neighbors and your friends. 
I mean, that, that's, that, I mean, that's marketing. We want you to have those kinds of things. So, so we don't have to have these sort of sensitive, overly sensitive consciousness that, that we say, hey, I look at the bottom of my purse and I've got all these hotel pins and I've got all these church pins and of course I need to get on my knees and repent here. We, we want to understand this word right here. But at the same time, I'm sure that hotel has no problem with you taking the hotel pins, but at the end of the day, when you've got their uh, Keurig in your home and it says Holiday Inn Express on it, that's probably not their intent for you to talk about how great their coffee was when you got friends and family over here. So you have to understand some of the intent, right? And even the intent of your heart. If we come back to this, that stealing is gain at someone else's unwilling expense, you don't have to be a mastermind creating this elaborate Ponzi scheme to rob people of their retirement and their 529s to fall short of the Eighth Commandment here. Now, we shouldn't trivialize this subject, but at the same time, we do need to understand that God cares about the little things in our life. And, and the little things, I mean, what seem to be seemingly insignificant that no one else actually notices. That, my friends, is where character is forged. That, my friends, is the separation of integrity and a lack of integrity. We had a bunch of friends and family members that were staying with us and they went to church I had the duty after uh, preaching. Danielle was hosting everyone at the house. I was stopping by the restaurant to pick up the food, to bring it back to the house for everybody to enjoy. I come in. I stand in the line. I get our food. I get back into the vehicle. I call Danielle and say, I've got the food. I'm headed your way. She said, oh, yeah, by the way, how much did that cost? And I said, I didn't pay for it. I thought you paid for it. And she said, well, I didn't pay for it. And I said, well, I'm about halfway home. I consider this the blessing of the Lord that he's given this to us here. I mean, let us, let us rejoice and be grateful. And my wife is very godly. And she said, she, all she had said, David. So turned around, turned around, got back in the line and bring up the receipt here and say, I'm sorry, but uh, I, it was a little mix up here. And I got this and I didn't pay for it. And she's like, well, thanks. Thanks for paying for it. And I'm like, hey, it's my wife more than me. So don't, don't thank me here. So <laughs> I was walking off and she said, do I know you? <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm the pastor at Trinity. I'm the pastor at Trinity. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Brian's a really good friend of mine. No. She said, I was getting ready this morning and you were preaching on your 10 o'clock worship service. I saw you. You're a pastor. And I just realized in that moment that forever, and I don't know how all that would have worked out at the end of closing where they would have realized that we wouldn't have paid. And I don't know exactly if that person would have recognized me that first time and all of that. But I do realize in that moment, the little things matter, don't they? The little things matter. Those little moments of integrity, the, the moment when you're in the parking lot and you back up into somebody and you realize they're not there and it's really made a huge impression upon that vehicle and in that moment you realize, what am I going to do? Am I going to drive away from this site as fast as I can or will I wait upon the owner of this vehicle? 
It's those things multiplied by hundreds of examples that really is the separation of Christian character, isn't it? This is where integrity is forged in the little things. I mean, Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful, again, Exodus 20, verse 15 here this morning, if you've not been faithful in what that which is another's, who will give that? which is your own. The the small compromises of deceit, the small compromises of deceit over a long period of time can make us comfortable and maybe even desensitized to the greater acts in the future of deceit. The person who embezzles hundreds of thousands of dollars from the company did not wake up, he or she wake up that morning and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to just try my hand at this and see how it works out. It's little moments of compromise, collectively commu- uh, accumulated over decades at times, years at times, months at times, even at weeks, those small acts of compromise that actually give birth to great consequences when our deceit finds us out. Let, let us as Christians be found faithful in the little so by our Savior we can be trusted in the lot. Because understand, as followers of Christ, one way that we are a witness, we are salt and light in our workplaces, one way that we're salt and light in our communities is who we are when we think no one else is watching or noticing. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, is a passage that speaks to a trusting God. Stealing, if you think of it this way, is a sign of distrust in God as our provider. When we take something that is not ours, in actuality, we're saying, God, we do not trust that you can adequately provide for our needs, so we've got to help you out. We actually do not believe that Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, is actually true for our life. And my God will supply, you know this passage, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When we go about dishonest means to gain for ourselves, whether it be in school, in work, in our personal life, it is an assault upon God's provision and providence upon our life. When we rob someone of what is theirs, it is actually an assault upon God's providence for their life. We, we take what belongs to them that God has adequately entrusted to them, and we take it for ourselves. It is an act of distrust. But on the flip side, faithful stewardship then is a sign of trust in God as our provider. Let me say that again. Faithful stewardship then is a sign of trust in God as our faithful provider. See, I think we can come to the eighth commandment and say, if I don't have this whole laundry list of embezzlement, or if I don't have uh, larceny or robbery upon me, then hey, I'm good here. But we need to understand that positively, the eighth commandment is a call upon all of our lives to be faithful stewards of every day that he has entrusted to us. 
The mind that he's entrusted to us, the opportunities that he's entrusted to us, the the resources, the spiritual gifts, the relationships, all that he has granted to us is first and foremost a gift from a good, bountiful, gracious God. And what we do with the gifts that he's entrusted to us, it matters. It matters in light of the Eighth Commandment. Because when we fail to be faithful stewards, we're robbing. We're robbing from the blessings that God has called us to provide as faithful witnesses to those who have never heard the Lord. But when we resist his call to be faithful, to witness, or, or maybe there, there is an opportunity that God has called us to be able to invest in the future generation of this church and this community. But we say, you know, God, this is my time. I can't can't give up that much time. And what are we doing? We're, We're robbing from the blessings of ultimately what that person is going to receive through how God is going to use you. Think about Adam and Eve. We we oftentimes get the story of Genesis confused, we think work comes into the garden as a result of the fall. But if you remember in Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 2, God places Adam and Eve and he places them there in the garden. And all of their habitation and their food and their relaxing and enjoyment is there before them in the garden. And he does uh, to Adam, he says, I've called you to work the garden, to tend the garden, to care for the garden, to be responsible for the garden. So work is introduced as a good gift of our gracious Savior. So a part of us living a life of faithfulness is to be found faithful as a steward in our work, in our home, in uh, the utilization of our gifts for His glory and our good. I think of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 it's sort of the opposite, the, sort of the New Testament opposite of the Eighth Commandment. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. God, God has blessed you with time. He has blessed you with resources. He has blessed you with gifts, spiritual gifts, talents, that he calls us to be faithful stewards with. Now, the question then is, are we faithfully stewarding the gifts that God has granted us? The author and the pastor, Jerry Bridges, he talks about three ways, three perspectives that we can have on possessions in general. And I think they're very helpful. He, the first perspective, he says, is the perspective of a person who says, what is yours actually is mine, and I'll take it. That's the perspective of the thief, isn't it? The second perspective is not the perspective of the thief, but it's actually the perspective of what's mine is mine. I'll keep it close-handed, stinginess, right to your chest. What is mine is mine. I'll keep it. It's the perspective of the selfish heart. It's the perspective that we are all tempted with each and every day in our lives. So the first perspective is the perspective of the thief. The second perspective is the perspective of the selfish heart. And the third perspective, this perspective of the faithful steward, is what Bridges says is the attitude, what what is mine is God's, and I'll share it. You cannot expect to live a life of faithfulness and not be generous with the time that he's entrusted with you, with the financial resources that he's entrusted to you, 
with the talents and the spiritual gifts that he's entrusted to you, there's no way for us to live a life where, where the selfish uh, flesh doesn't get defeated uh, without us traveling down the path of generosity. To, to be faithful stewards here on earth, we have to be well acquainted. Well, practically, we have to be well acquainted with the offering receptacles that are each of these exits. We have to be well acquainted, even if we don't give as an act of worship right here, but to be able to be givers in the church and through the church uh, online. There's no other path to do that. We have to live lives that are open-handed with what God has given us and granted us, lest we become like Charles Dickens' Scrooge in the Christmas carol that held everything so tight himself that he ultimately smothered it and so we break the chains of selfishness by living a life as a faithful steward not just of our financial resources but of our time of our gifts of our abilities i ask you this morning are you living a life of generosity or are you living a life of stinginess Open-handed, closed-fisted. All of us here fall short. All of us here have broken the Eighth Commandment. Maybe we've broken it because we've crossed over the line. Maybe we break it consistently because we don't live lives of faithful stewardship. But we're all like our spiritual forebears. Guess what? Adam and Eve in the garden, what was the original sin? God says, All of these trees you can eat from except that tree. That tree is mine. The knowledge of good and evil. The the, uh, thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so what what does the serpent say? He says, did God really say you can't eat from that tree? And Adam and Eve, they committed the first theft. They took from the tree that God said was his and his alone. And you... And me alike, we have followed in lockstep with them. There are all of us that are here that have fallen short of the glory of God. There are all of us here that know what it is to feel the pull of selfishness and to feel the pull of being able to to get something that is not ours by, by dishonest means. So there's none of us that come into this sanctuary that do not follow the path of Adam and Eve there in the garden. But here's the good news. That God saw us as thieves. He saw us as as sinners. And he sends his son. His son who is eternally rich in heaven. Who came to this earth and lived a life of poverty. He never committed an act of theft. But he actually gave himself completely with gracious generosity. So much so that he would be hung upon a cruel coarse Roman cross. Between two, do you remember the story? Between two thieves. And one thief is in heaven, the other one is in hell. As we know from the passage of Scripture that is before us, the way that one is in paradise is because that thief turned to the person beside him and says, remember me in paradise. And he receives forgiveness. And so for all of us that are here, there is no other path for the forgiveness of our theft 
other than the way that that thief on the cross is in heaven today. He looked to Jesus for salvation. My question to all of us who are thieves, have we looked to Jesus for salvation? And as we look to him for salvation, as followers of him, we're then inspired to live lives as he lived, a a life of gracious generosity, a life where he spilled over his life to all who would come in contact with him. And it inspires us as followers of him to live lives not of tight-fisted stinginess, but of open-handed generosity, understanding that every day that we have on this earth, all the resources that we have are ultimately a gift from him. Generosity or stinginess? That's the question that all of us, in light of his word, must answer. So I ask all of us today to do what that thief on the cross did 2,000 years ago, to look to him to look to our Savior, one who gives his life freely away, and to look to him as he lives a generous life, and to be inspired as, as that great hymn of, of the yesterday reminds us to, that we look to him and his love that is so amazing, his love that is so divine, that demands our soul, our life, our all. Let us pray.